I'm Candace Long with Lessons in the Latter Days, offering biblical commentary to make sense of the times that we're living in. Today's episode is part two of Uncovering the Ancient Snare. If you missed part one, I encourage you to listen to it because I will be building on that foundation. This ancient snare is a 3,500-year-old prophecy that God put in the book of Deuteronomy during a very significant time period. It was given just weeks before Moses left this earth and before God's people entered the kingdom. Weeks before, not years, weeks. I believe God is uncovering this snare now because we are so close to entering the kingdom and we need to be wary of the hooks of entrapment the enemy has laid out for us. Before we begin, I want to give honor to the many godly servants over the years to whom God entrusted with insights into these end of days. As with all of us, we see in part. God may show Hal Lindsay one thing, Grant Jeffries another, Rabbi Jonathan Kahn another, and me another. Now, I'm not putting myself in their category by any means, but like them, I am called to teach and prepare listeners for the day of the Lord. And there is one doctrine that some of them teach and that many Christians hold on to that I do not agree with at all, and that is the belief that says no one knows the day or the hour of his coming. Now, because of mistranslations surrounding these verses, most believers are not alert to spot signs of his coming along the way, thinking we're not supposed to do that. God doesn't want us to know. Therefore, there is no clear understanding of when the day of the Lord begins, and this is a huge doctrinal error. The Jewish lens sees this time period far differently. The seven-day plan of God clearly teaches that the resurrection, which you may refer to as the rapture, begins on Tishri 1 in the year 6001 after creation. Where I want to start is to say that the biblical narrative known as Yom Akarit, which is Hebrew for latter days, was written by Almighty God starting in the book of Genesis. The day of the Lord is his day, his kingdom, and he knows all about it, every detail. But just as Jesus did with his disciples, preparing them in detail for his departure, the Father has likewise prepared his children with every sign, every warning, every mystery sealed and revealed. It is not my intent in this episode to disparage anyone's nationality, but to give the warning as God gave it and provide biblical commentary as to how the warning may apply to your life. The passage where we find this warning is Deuteronomy 25:17. Here's an abbreviated version. Quote, Remember what Amalek did to you on the way as you came out of Egypt. You shall blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. You shall not forget. 
In part one, I explained who Amalek is and why he is the only one mentioned in the entire Bible toward whom the Lord swore eternal hatred and total annihilation of his memory. I told you how Amalek's descendants began to show up at significant times throughout biblical history and threaten God's people. I ended that episode by telling you that when the Jews entered the Promised Land in Judges 3, one of the nations God left in the land was Amalek. We read, quote, These nations were for the testing of Israel, to know whether Israel would listen and take heed to the commandments of the Lord, unquote. Now, let me be very honest with you. I've walked with the Lord over 50 years, and for the majority of that time, if someone had asked me, are you taking heed to the commandments of the Lord, I would have answered, yes, of course. I spend time with the Lord. I read the Bible every day. I try to model my walk after the ways of Jesus. But since 2006, When God asked me to begin studying Judaism and become Torah observant, I see this verse in a whole different light. The word commandments is wrongly translated because the Hebrew word comes from the word savah, which means to set up or establish something. It's not a command, a to-do list that we obey mindlessly. That is called the curse of the law. And Jesus died to free us from that. He did not die to free us from doing those 613 things. That's what God set up for his children to do. This was his covenant with them that set them apart from all the other nations. The prayers Jews pray every day, multiple times, begins with these ten words. Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu melech haolam, asher kitshanu b'mitzvotav. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who sanctifies us, or sets us apart, by your mitzvot, by those things that you set up for us to do. The reality is the majority of Christians do not take heed, or pay attention to, or regard the established things that sets God's children apart from all others. Now, this is difficult for you to hear. I know. It was for me. But I want you to see that your inward repulsion at the thought of doing what I'm talking about shows how much Amalek is already at work testing this generation. His goal is to turn us off from God's ways so we will not follow him. Jesus said that will affect our place in the kingdom. In Matthew 5, Jesus said, and I abbreviate, Think not that I have come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. Whoever dismisses one of the least of these mitzvot, translated commandments, and teaches others to do so, shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But he who does them and teaches them shall be called great. Now, I don't want to be called least in the kingdom. Do you? Amalek is still alive and well. 
Let's look at how his hooks of entrapment kept showing up in biblical history and began to affect our generation. In 1 Samuel 15, God instructed Saul, through the prophet Samuel, saying, and I abbreviate, The Lord sent me to anoint you king over his people Israel. Now therefore hearken to the words of the Lord. I will punish what Amalek did to Israel in opposing them on the way when they came up out of Egypt. Now go and smite Amalek and utterly destroy all they have. Do not spare them. In other words, wipe out everyone and everything belonging to Amalek. So Saul went to war against them, and we read that he and his army spared Agag, who was the king of Amalek. Samuel was furious and told Saul that God would remove his kingship because he didn't wipe Amalek out. And at the end of the chapter, Samuel ordered them to bring Agag, the king, to him. The Bible reads that Samuel cut Agag into pieces before the Lord in Gilgal. And Samuel did not see Saul again until the day of his death. The next significant mention of Amalek is found in the book of Esther. I discuss this story in depth in the episode Torah 101, Purim. But to sum up, the story took place during the time of the Persian Empire. This was after the Babylonians destroyed the first temple, and some 15,000 people were taken away from Jerusalem to Babylon. The book of Esther deals with the struggles the Jews went through living in Persia. Chapter 3 begins with this, King Ahasuerus promoted Haman, the Agagite, and set his seat above all the princes who were with him. Haman, the villain in our story, was a bloodline descendant of King Agag, who was king of Amalek. Now, one of the biggest lessons in the book of Esther centers around the growth of anti-Semitism in all of Persia at the time. Now, Haman was not just an evil man. He was fulfilling an ancestral destiny hidden deep within his DNA to kill Jews. This lies at the heart of this teaching. You see, he was descended from Amalek, Esau's illegitimate grandson. That hatred of Jacob and his descendants, the Jews, ran deep in his veins. Remember, God told his people to blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. You shall not forget. King Saul forgot that admonition, and he pardoned King Agag, which caused the spirit of Amalek to live on through his descendants and surface later on in history in Haman's bloodline. Now that spirit is still alive, but where? In the Babylonian Talmud, the rabbis wrote that Jacob once prayed this, quote, King of the universe, grant not to Esau the wicked desire of his heart, unquote. The Talmud explains this section refers to Germania that descended from Edom, prophesying that if this bloodline were allowed to go forth, they would destroy the whole world. 
Now, at that time in the first century when the Talmud was written, there was no nation called Germany. But the Torah scholars prophesied way back then that Germania has 300 crowned heads and posed danger. In the book called The Rise and Fall of the Third Reich, author W. L. Scherer wrote that Germany remained a patchwork of some 300 individual states. In our day, Dr. John Coleman, former MI6 intelligence officer, has spent his whole life exposing today's elite in his book, The Committee of 300. It is these 300 who are the power brokers, the elite of the climate change agenda. They are rooted in the ancestral bloodline of Esau, the founder of Rome, and the DNA of Amalek, then Haman, then Hitler, and soon the man of sin who will be revealed right before the kingdom. But let's not get ahead of ourselves. Let's go back. During the Roman Empire, Hellenism was at its strength. This philosophy infected the entire Jewish religious system during Jesus' day. How did it do this? They tempted the priests to quit doing Judaism in exchange for money and position in the Roman kingdom. When the Roman Emperor Constantine named Christianity the official religion, It became forbidden to worship on the Sabbath, to honor the appointed festivals, to eat kosher and perform circumcisions. Rabbi Michael Washer, in his book When All the Pictures Are Restored, explains that increasingly the traditions and customs of biblical Judaism were shunned and dismissed. This view spread throughout the church and throughout European Christianity. By the year 200, the umbilical cord of Judaism was severed from belief in Yeshua as the Messiah. So much so that every time Christianity is mentioned in the Talmud, the sages used the code word Edom in place of the word Christianity, referring to Esau, the grandfather of Amalek. Psalms 137 tells us that Edom was active in destroying the temple. So you need to understand that to devout Jews, Christians are aligned with Edom and are therefore enemies of Israel. This is the real reason why it is difficult for believers to share the Lord with Jews. They don't trust Christians, and rightly so. We do not as a whole, regard Judaism. On the contrary, we try to convert them away from what God covenanted them to do in the Torah, and that is wrong. Let's return now to the book of Esther, and I'll show you a powerful clue of Amalek's identity as Germany. Rabbi Washer writes that in chapter 9, we find a list of the names of Haman's sons. Now, there are very exact laws governing how a biblical scroll is to be written, and the way the ten sons of Haman are listed look very strange in the original scroll. Some of the letters are enlarged, and some are very small. The small letters are Tav, Shen, and Zayin, and the enlarged letter is Vav. 
Rabbi Washer shows a picture of that page in the scroll and tells us these letters actually form a prophecy. Bear with me, you're going to hear an amazing mystery. There were five steps the sages used to show what God revealed about the sons or the seed of Haman. Number one, they listed the sons' names with the strange letters and they looked at their order. One, seven, and ten. Number two, they added up only the first digits of their listed order. One, seven, and one, which equals nine. Number three, they looked at the numerical values of the diminished letters and added up only the first digits. The answer is 400 plus 300 plus 7, and the first digits add up to 14. Number four, they looked at that sum without the tens, so you do away with the one, you end up with four. And number five, they calculated the numerical value of the enlarged letter Vav, which is six. So they ended up with nine, four, and six. Now hold that thought a minute. Nine, four, six. In Esther, we read that the ten sons of Haman, or Amalek, died on wood. They were hanged. As rabbis poured over this prophecy of the strange Hebrew letters over the centuries, they determined that since Amalek is Germany, there would be ten sons of Germany who would be hanged as well. But when? They set these numbers in order next to each other and got nine, four, six. They wondered what year would these ten sons of Amalek be hanged? 946 A.D.? 1946 or 2046? The answer came in a chilling way. Before I reveal it, you need to know that the closest picture that we have of what the tribulation will be like in the day of the Lord has been the era of Nazi Germany during World War II. The Holocaust was the systematic murder of Nazi Germany of approximately 6 million Jews, representing one-third of all the Jews in the world at that time. Let's go back now to God's concealed message. Just as the ten sons of Haman were hanged on gallows, the ten representatives of Nazi Germany were also hanged on gallows. This was no coincidence. This headline appeared in the New York Times. It read, Goering ends life by poison. Ten others hanged in Nuremberg prison for Nazi war crimes. You see, originally 11 men were scheduled to hang, but Hitler's number two man, Hermann Goering, killed himself. So by God's providence, there were 10 men hanged. And the date of that hanging? October 16th, 1946, the exact year hidden in the ancient scroll of Esther. There's a very poignant drawing displayed in the Yad Vashem School of Holocaust Education outside Jerusalem. The artist was Polish-born Menachem Lemberger, who lost both his parents in the Nazi death camps. The drawing is of an arm raised to the sky with a hand closed in a fist. On the arm is the Star of David, and a number is tattooed, six million. 
The headline of the article cries out, You branded us, you murdered us, but we are still here. We do not forget. You too shall not forget. The anti-Semitic poison that defiled Amalek's bloodline and manifested through Haman went on to infect much of European Christianity that produced the pogroms of the religious wars called the Crusades with the intent to conquer Jerusalem for Christianity. And even through Martin Luther, the German priest who inspired the Protestant Reformation, In his later years, Luther became embittered by his failure to convert Jews to Christianity. It is recorded that he denounced Judaism and called for harsh persecution of its followers. He actually proposed to set fire to their synagogues, quote, to be done in honor of our Lord. Now this is the seed of Amalek at work in our generation. I bring all this up for several reasons. Not all Germans are like Hitler. But many people, me included, have some German blood in our ancestry. Several years ago, the Lord led me to this understanding and impressed on me the need to repent for the sins of my forefathers and renounce any acts they may have done against the Jewish people. If you have German ancestors in your bloodline or any other race who persecuted the Jews, it is critical to confess these ancestral sins, renounce them, and place those sins verbally under the blood of Jesus. This act will remove any open door from our bloodlines that the enemy has access to that might manifest down the road as opposing God and his covenant with Israel. Anti-Semitism is still alive today. It begins as a general disdain for the Jews, looking down our noses at Judaism, dismissing the Old Testament as unimportant, or reinterpreting God's word to say that Christians have replaced the Jews in all the end-time prophecies. That is the false teaching known as replacement theology. It is a lie out of the pit of hell and is traced back to the seed of Amalek. Jesus reveals in Revelation 2 that there are those who say they are Jews and are not. There are many Jews that are not of the seed of Abraham. But God knows who are his. And he has prepared the kingdom for the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and those of us who choose to align with Israel. He told them in Deuteronomy 7, It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love upon you and chose you. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers. If you have a problem with God's love for them and do anything to harm them or speak evil of them, you will not feel at home in the kingdom. Next time in part three, we'll examine an unbelievable conspiracy against God's people that has taken me months to understand. 
Amalek is still alive and well and coming after us to keep us from the kingdom. I want to thank you for taking the time to listen. You'll find this episode, The Ancient Snare, Part 2, on my podcast site at candislong.com slash podcasts. If you subscribe, I will send you links to all my resources to help you find your destined place in these end times. I'm Candace Long. Join me next time for Lessons in the Latter Days. God bless you.